Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. It's in short supply in this age of instant gratification. But patience is meant to be a defining quality of love. Is it evident in the love you show? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah considers what it means to be what the Bible calls long-suffering, with helpful examples and encouragement. To introduce today's message, The Patience and Kindness of Love, here's David. Uh, We just finished uh, celebrating our 60th wedding anniversary, and Don and I traveled to Europe uh, to celebrate that. And so we were with a lot of people for long hours. We weren't on a tour. We were just mixed in with uh, the public And one of the things I discovered, and maybe you've noticed it as well, people aren't very kind anymore. And patience is almost a non-existent uh, quality. And the thing that's the hardest to watch is to see, for instance, a couple, a married couple where the husband is very intolerant of his wife and she does something wrong and he's on top of her with his abuse in a moment. And uh, does he love her? Probably, but he's totally lacking in any self-awareness. And the whole attitude of love that's talked about in the Bible doesn't allow for that. Agape love is not impatient. Agape love is not unkind. And today, part one of the patience and kindness of love from 1 Corinthians 13, the first of the qualities that we're going to examine all the way through this chapter. Friends, I want to ask you to join me in Charleston, South Carolina, coming up here October the 6th. It's just around the corner. The 6th and the 7th, we will be at uh, the North Charleston Coliseum in Charleston, South Carolina for a live arena event Friday night and Saturday morning. And I'll be teaching on the rapture and uh, sharing the content of this new book that comes out right during that time. The book is released uh, the day that this event starts. Uh, We'll have them there. Uh, We also are going to have some wonderful music from Selah and uh, just a great time. If you haven't already registered to come with us, you can do it by going to our website. Go to davidjeremiah.org and find out more information about tickets, special guests, and all of the other things that are so important. Well, let's get started with today's lesson. This is part one of The Patience and Kindness of Love. Dr. Cecil Osborne has written a book entitled The Art of Understanding Yourself. And in the book, he told about a lady who went to see a counselor. And she said to the counselor in the presence of her husband, I would like to have married a man who is very strong and yet very gentle. He would be strong enough to put me in my place when I get out of line, but understanding and sensitive enough to know when I need to have my own way in certain areas. He would be tolerant of my occasional outbursts and emotional tantrums and wise enough to see that I need a good cry now and again. He would just pat me and console me without bothering to argue with me. She went on at considerable length describing this paragon of virtue 
while her husband sat listening intently. And when she finished listing all of the traits that she had hoped she would get, and she obviously had not gotten, he said with a trace of bitterness, there was someone like that once, but they crucified him between two thieves. And though we smile at that, he was absolutely right. That is the challenge of 1 Corinthians 13 to all of us. Because here in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians is divine love displayed. It is not human love, or we would not be so intimidated by it. It is a kind of love that we see so very little of in our world, and it seems almost as if it is beyond our reach. It is like it belonged to creatures of a different world, or at least of a different time than ours. And yet Paul wrote this to a church that certainly was carnal and by all that we can imagine was as sinful and as carnal as the churches in our day and Paul enjoined this kind of love upon them and he said this is what you need this is what you ought to implement in your life we began our study in the first three verses by looking at the preeminence of love we talked about how we might have all of the various gifts that are available to us and yet without love they would be nothing we pointed out that without love we are nothing we become nothing and we profit nothing if all we have is performance without love we are empty we began a new section in first corinthians thirteen with the fourth verse and with the fourth verse through the seventh verse we move from the preeminence of love to the practice or the performance of love and it is interesting to note the relationships between the two sections that we have studied and are going to study for instance in verses one through three we see what the church at Corinth was and should not have been in verses 4 through 7 we see what the church of Corinth was not and should have been just a little different side of the same picture in verses 1 through 3 we have a description of the gifts without any love and in verses 4 through 7 we have a description of love without any of the gifts now in verses 1 through 3 attention was given to a number of great tremendous qualities we learned about eloquence and inspiration and insight and knowledge and faith and service and sacrifice and all of these were said to be possessed by someone who did not have love these seven qualities are like seven zeros if you will without anything in front of them they are worthless they are just the accumulation of zeros but love is like the numeral one and when you put that numeral in front of the zeros all of the things that were nothing without it become tremendously something with it and what we're going to do is take verses four through seven and at least begin the journey into the qualities that make all of the gifts really worthwhile now in verses 4 through 7 nothing is said about spiritual gifts at all and yet that passage retains its full force even though gifts are absent and if it doesn't prove anything else it proves that gifts without love are worthless but love 
even without gifts, retains its value undiminished. Here in chapter 13 is a picture. It is not the dream of an artist, but it is the work of a photographer. And Jesus Christ is the one who is sitting for the picture. The Bible says that God is love. The Bible says that Christ is God. If God is love and Christ is God, then Christ is love. And if you want an interesting experience, take your Bible and read through 1 Corinthians 13, substituting the word Christ for the word love, and you will discover that it fits and it is the only word you could possibly substitute for the word love that would fit. For Christ is the only one who totally and in every respect embodies all the qualities of love that are here found in 1 Corinthians 13. Verses 4 through 7 give to us some 15 qualities of love. And as we study these qualities, we're going to discover that first of all, they summarize love and then they scrutinize love. First of all, love is negative and passive. We're going to learn everything that love is not. And then it is active and positive, everything that love is. At the beginning of the section, love is a love of restraint. But then as we move on through the section, love becomes the love of constraint. Christ is love. And as I've said, you can literally substitute his name for each of the uses of the word love in the text. Now before we look at the first two qualities of love, I want to point out a very interesting grammatical point. And that is that of the 15 verbs that are used here to describe love, for in essence we are not defining love. Love is never defined in terms that we can understand it. The only definition of love that's given in the Bible that is truly love defined is God is love. But here love is described, or perhaps better, it is displayed. Here is love uh, given to us like you would see the colors through a prism. All of the variegated colors of love being drawn through a prism and separated out so that we can see the various qualities, but they still are all one in the same. And if you look at the verbs that describe love in this passage, you will discover a very interesting thing. They are all in the present tense, which means we're not talking here about what love was or even about what love ought to be. We're talking about what love is. And each of these verbs, if you go through the chapter, you will discover that each of them is a quality of life that is a continual, ongoing way of living. This is not necessarily characteristics of love as much as it is the lifestyle of love. When we get done understanding what's in this chapter, what God is saying to us through his word is, this is the way I want you to live. Not some of the time, not part of the time. This is your lifestyle. Live this life every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul begins in the fourth verse by giving to us some characteristics of love as it performs, the performance of love. And the first one is this, love suffereth long. Now we are not unfamiliar with the word long-suffering. We have seen it in our study of the fruit of the Spirit and it pops up everywhere in the scripture. The word here for long-suffering is the Greek word makrothumio, and it is a combination of two interesting words which are translated by our English words long and passion. Long-suffering 
translates out the concept of long passion. And these two words, when they're found together in the Bible, carry the idea of breathing hard for a long period of time because you are under stress. Thus, to be long-tempered, that is, slow to anger or patient. And Paul says that the first quality of divine love is that it is long-suffering. This particular Greek word is used almost exclusively of being patient with people, not with circumstances or events. Most of us have a much better time being patient with circumstances and patient with events, but this word almost exclusively in the New Testament language is used in situations where it is talking about being patient with people. This is the quality of love which enables a person to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of by a person over and over again and yet not be upset or angry because of it. Chrysostom, the early church father, said that this word is a word which is used of the man who is wronged and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself but will never do it. Now, when I read that and when I understand that, the quality of long-suffering love becomes four or five notches higher than I thought it was and even more unattainable in the human spirit apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says love suffereth long, and the word means a long waiting time, a time during which a man refuses to give way to his anger, Long-suffering is a passive quality. It implies victory over just resentment. Love is long-suffering when it has been wronged and it patiently is silent. Love is long-suffering when in the face of injuries and wrongs, it persists and endures and it waits. Long-suffering love is patient with people who wrong, offend, nag, criticize, or irritate. Love does not disappear when frustrated or angered. Shakespeare once said, Love is not love that alters when it alteration finds. The Greeks of Paul's day did not know anything at all about this kind of love. To them, a non-retaliatory spirit was a sign of weakness. The Greeks thought you were a strong man when you wouldn't let anybody get by with anything. I mean, the Greeks felt that it was a manly characteristic that if somebody wronged you before the sun went down, you got even with them with a little extra added in. Aristotle, the Greek writer, taught that the great Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate insult or injury and to strike back in retaliation for the slightest offense. To the Greeks, vengeance was a virtue, but certainly not long-suffering. And here comes Paul writing to a Greek congregation and he's saying, if you want to know the supreme quality of love that is embodied in Jesus Christ, here's the first characteristic, long-suffering. And, you know, it's not much different in our day, is it? If you watch television, you probably sit on the edge of your chair waiting for the guy who's the good guy to get even with the bad guy and the most frustrating television shows we ever watch is when the show ends and he didn't get even with him, right? We have built into our culture that vengeance is a manly virtue and you don't let anybody walk on you. And I hear that. I hear that talked among men and among boys. 
And I'm not talking here about being a wimp. Hate to say that word, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being a dormant. I'm not talking about let somebody just beat up on you without any provocation, but I'm talking about having a patient, long-suffering attitude toward the irritations that we all face in our relationships with one another. Now, let me give you some examples of this quality from the Bible for your notes and for your future study. Just two or three, and there are many. First of all, God was long-suffering while Noah was building the ark. Do you remember that? Back in Genesis, we have the record, but there's a word of commentary from 1 Peter 3.20 in the New Testament that goes like this. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing. And how long did he wait? He waited 120 years to preach before he sent the judgment of the flood. God knew that the people were wicked and evil and that they deserved judgment. But he restrained his anger and judgment upon those people. And for 120 years they preached the gospel. Nobody ever responded except Noah's family, a family of eight. But God did not bring down judgment because he's a long-suffering God. And then I think, secondly, of God's patience with us today. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering, here's the word, toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How many times have we said, because of the sin and debauchery and degradation even of our own nation, how in the world does God stay his hand of judgment upon this nation and upon this culture? I have heard it said, as you have, that if God doesn't judge America pretty soon, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet what keeps God's judgment from falling upon us and consuming this world? There's only one quality, and that is the quality of his long-suffering. God is a patient, long-suffering God, for God is love. There's a rather famous story that is told about Robert Ingersoll, the well-known atheist of the last century. When Ingersoll would give his lectures against God, he would often, at the end of his lecture, stand up and open up his pocket watch, open it up toward heaven and hold it out and he would say, I'll give God five minutes to strike me dead for the things I've said. And then he would stand there and count off the five minutes on his watch. And when the five minutes were over, he would slap the watch closed and use the fact that God had not retaliated as proof for the fact that God did not exist. One day, the evangelist Theodore Parker heard what he had done. And he was asked about it. And he said, And did the gentleman think he could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in five minutes? And he was right. God is a long-suffering God, and I'll tell you the greatest evidence of the long-suffering nature of God is that this world is still here, that this nation is still unjudged, and that some of you who have never trusted Christ as your Savior still have one more opportunity extended to you. That is the evidence of God's long-suffering. I think of two personal illustrations of long-suffering in the lives of individuals who are recorded for us in the New Testament. First of all, Stephen. If long-suffering patience is a non-retaliatory spirit, then Stephen certainly embodied it. For in Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, 
While he was being stoned, Stephen cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He had no vengeance in his heart to repay those who were cruelly treating him. And of course, the Lord Jesus was the same way. As he hung upon the cross, the words recorded in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There was no desire on his part to retaliate, for he was a loving God. And love does not retaliate. Love does not get even. And then throughout the Bible, there are a number of encouragements to us. Uh, One of the key phrases in the Old Testament concerning long-suffering is the little phrase, slow to anger. I want to give you just a few of those passages to write down and to meditate upon at a later time. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger pacifies contention. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than the one who captures a city. Proverbs 19.11, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. On three different occasions, Colossians 3.12, put on long-suffering. Ephesians 4.2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. And Romans 12, 17 says, recompense to no man evil for evil. This first quality of divine love is basically our refusal to want to get even when we are wronged. It is a long-suffering patience on our part to take injustice and not to retaliate. Now, it would be so easy for us to keep that in the upper level of our minds up here in that section called theology. And walk out of here knowing all that it means. So I want to give you a little application in terms of some questions. And to bring this down to where you live in terms of your application of long-suffering love in the arena of your life. So get ready. Here we go. Do I demonstrate irritations or reflect anger or have a quick temper? Does my love have a long fuse before the circuit blows? How are you doing? Here's one that's hard on me. Do I know how to sit still and wait my turn? (laughs) No. Do I often give way to sarcasm when I have been hurt or when I am tired or when I'm annoyed? Sarcasm. Sometimes we think it's done simply, but oftentimes it can hurt, and oftentimes sarcasm is the result of our impatience with one another. Here's a good one. Am I sometimes betrayed into speech and action which I later regret? Does that happen to you? You know, one of the things that happens to me is I get letters. I get all kinds of letters. I get some good ones, and I get lots of bad ones. But you know, in my lifetime, I've written a few dozen letters that I never sent. Have you ever done that? Sometime back, somebody gave me a little bit of poetry that I think's good word of advice concerning retaliatory letters. Think twice before you speak. Count ten before you strike. Then if you choose to write, let the ink dry overnight. Don't give a peace of mind your peace of mind to gain. 
Though it may seem quite right, let the ink dry overnight. Next morning you may be humbled in your prayer, thanking the God of light that you let the ink dry overnight. That's good word of advice. A little time, a little lengthening of the fuse before we respond. And friends, thank you for being with us today. Let me remind you that during this month, we're making available our brand new, beautifully designed calendar for the year 2024, a 14-month calendar that begins in November of this year, giving you a chance to get a head start on the new year. We've been doing this now for two or three years to the appreciation of our audience. And so if you'd like to have a copy of this beautiful design calendar, you can't get it anywhere else. It's designed by Turning Point for you. Here's how you do it. Send a gift to Turning Point of any size and just say, please send me the calendar, and it's on its way. And friends, don't forget, we have a wonderful event coming up at the end of this year. We're going to the Caribbean with Michael Sanchez and Uriel Vega and the Martins, and we're going to be visiting some wonderful places uh, in the Caribbean uh, cruise lane. A wonderful time to review the year that's passed and get ready for the one that's coming. We'll be there over the holiday, and we'll have some wonderful things happening just for you. Go to davidjeremiah.org and find out all about it. See you next time. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Power of Love, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our inspiring 14-month calendar for 2024. Focused on God's enduring faithfulness, the unchanging promises of God. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Power of Love, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Recently, a man in Perth, Australia, was exiting a subway car when his foot slipped between the car and the concrete platform, pinning his leg between the two. He was trapped. Within seconds, the large crowd of fellow commuters put their hands on the side of the subway car and pushed together, allowing the man to free his leg. 
No individual commuter would have had the strength to do that. But working together, they saved the man's life. The Apostle Paul talks about the church, the body of Christ, the same way. Every individual member is important. Every member has a role to play. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover your role in God's church on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.